0: I was going to offer Bishop Tunstall a Bible as a gift, but I was worried about what he might do with it. Uh, Fruit and veggies. Let's talk about fruit and veggies for a moment. Uh, uh, It was lunchtime at Martin Place for me uh, many years ago in Sydney CBD, where I worked for about 10 years. And I kid you not, fruit and veggies were walking towards me. There was no mistake, they were huge, they had legs, there was this big red shiny tomato, unmistakable, and a green capsicum and even an orange carrot. And they were walking around and they were making a song and a dance and throwing brochures around. And they had a very simple message and a very important truth claim. Do you know what it was? Eat more fruit and veggies there's no, no big surprise there and that's, that's a good message isn't it of course some people rejected their message I'm sure I saw a little tacker kick the green capsicum but they stood out from everyone else they stood out and it was very clear where these people in their costumes stood Paul wants Timothy to know where he stands And the lesson is the same for us here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So as we come to the text, that is a question for you. In this world, where do you stand? And what do you stand for? Uh, This chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it starts off in verse 1. But mark this. What is Timothy to mark? What is he to understand? Verse 1 There will be terrible times in the last days. When are the last days? Well, we're in them now. The last days were brought in by Jesus Christ himself when he died for us on the cross. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, just to be sure, says that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son. All right. Uh, Acts 2, where Peter preaches from Joel, the fulfillment of Pentecost, when God's spirit pours out, happens in the last days. We are in the last days. And what are the last days like? Well, they're terrible, verse 1, which means they're hard to bear. There will be times of stress. They'll be fierce, dangerous, uh, and, and all those kinds of things. Uh, throughout history of God's people, the church has had seasons of this experience. The early church was brutalised. Tyndale, as we heard, and other reformers were executed. And in no other time in history were more Christians killed on account of their faith than in the last 100 years. Why? Well, verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful and proud. Look at the end of verse 4. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And look at the words in between. the end of verse 2, they'll be boastful, proud, abusive. Uh, These all stem from self-love. The proud will look down with contempt at others. Notice there it mentions being disobedient to parents. Ah. Last days, like I said, you keep reading the list. Verse 2, they're ungrateful, unholy, without love. They're unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not lovers of good. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. See, what is the problem in these last days it is that people are utterly self-centred and that their love is misdirected they should love God and they should love others but they love themselves first and only themselves it seems it's where you do what's best for you and never mind everyone else my rights, my wants I decide what is best and hang everyone else. Sound familiar? And how tragic it is when such self-love, such misdirected love appears in the context of the church. It's a terrible thing. I mean, is this what Christians are to stand for? And the answer, of course, is absolutely not. Look at verse 5. They have the form of godliness that deny its power, have nothing to do with such people. See, they look like they belong. And they turn up. But it's only form without power. It's outward show without the inward reality. It's something that looks like faith, but there's no fruit of faith. You, You remember those vegetables I talked about that were walking around the city? with their message, making a song and dance about healthy eating, remember that? Imagine if I found them found them somewhere hoeing into some greasy scallops and a greasy Chico Roll and hot chips and they were guzzling it down with a big bottle of one of those awful energy drinks, can you imagine that? It just makes me nauseous just thinking about it. Now do you think their message would somehow be undermined? would you wonder what they really stood for and whether they really believed in eating healthy? I mean, it would be very plain to see that they're not walking their talk, wouldn't it? They don't believe their own message. They have form. They look the part. But the power of their message is negative. And Paul is saying that there are people in the church that are like that. Why? Because they love themselves, they love money and they love pleasure far more than they love God and far more than they love God's people. They're the kind of people that are about me first and you last. That's not what we read when we started our church service, is it? We read, love God with everything you got, all your heart, strength, soul and mind. And then do you love you next? No, you love your neighbour next. Paul says, have nothing to do with such pretenders, people who are into this kind of pagan Christianity, if you like. People who claim to be one thing, but their behaviour testifies against them. Paul says they're fake. But the picture becomes blacker. Verse 6 they're the kind of people that worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, are always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, these are people that pray on the week. This is what happens in the last days. And given the Royal Commission and the failure by the church to care and protect for the most vulnerable, especially children, we see how black the canvas is, don't we? Last days indeed. What else do they like? Verse 8. Just as Janez and Jomberes opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of deprived minds who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Jannes and Jambres, according to Jewish tradition, they were in the court of Pharaoh, and they were Pharaoh's magicians. And if you know the story, they had a contest with Moses, didn't they, in Pharaoh's court? And you know the story, they lost. Big time. Uh, Moses was the bearer of the truth. And Jannes and Jambres, who opposed him, were not. And they were made to look silly. And maybe Paul parallels this past experience from Israel's history with what is happening now. And what is at stake is an opposition to God's truth, which of course is not a passing phase, but a mark of the last days in which we live. And so the battle that Paul and Timothy faced (coughs) is the same battle that Luther and Tyndale face, and it's the same battle that we contend for today. Biblical truth. I mean, we live in a world of competing truth claims, don't we? We turn on the TV and celebrities like Ellen and Magda can passionately tell us what to think. I mean, have a think about that. We have drama school graduates and comedians now functioning as society's moral compass. Because everyone else has lost all credibility. Breakfast show hosts, they don't just give you the news now, they actually get on their soapbox. TV panellists bombard us with opinions. We hear all of these competing truth claims and we are told what to believe and what not to believe. And how do we filter it all? How are we to think about life and relationships and our world? We need a norm, don't we? We need an ultimate standard or a criteria to which we can appeal, don't we? Don't we? I mean, some people will appeal to reason. Oh, God gave me a brain, I'll reason things out. Others will appeal to experience and their feelings. Too bad if you're having a bad day. Uh, Tunstall we heard. Appeal to the authority of the uh, the church. He appealed to the institution. That's the one that has the power. I mean, imagine if God said something. I mean, there'd be no higher authority than God's, would there? And imagine if God had it written down for us. Man alive, that'd be a big help, wouldn't it? That'd solve all of our problems. We'd have life's answers. Life could be so much better, couldn't it? And easier. We'd know, we'd have a norm that we could refer to and open up. Well, verses 10 to 17 outlines our alternative. This is the part that was read for us by Bob. And see what the contrast here is. And the contrast is two things. Notice one is Paul himself. Verse 10, you know, uh, all my teaching, you know, my way of life, my purpose. All right, he's going to stand out. Here's a standard for someone in leadership. If you're a late preacher or a Sunday school teacher, if you're leading, you've got to know the teaching, know what you believe. You've got to live out that teaching. And you've got to know the why, the purpose. And of course, the purpose is the gospel. And Paul makes himself the standard by which the truth can be distinguished from what is false. See the contrast, verse 10. The Christian life is to model faith, and patience and love and endurance, verse 11, persecution, and even suffering. It involves a willingness to suffer, to do without for the sake of others, for the gospel. This is not self love that we saw earlier. This is selfless, isn't it? Because verse 12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Here is the norm. This is what we can expect. And we know that was true for Paul because Paul, he writes this from jail. He writes this from jail. It was true for Tyndale, who died for that thing that you have in your laps. And it's still true today. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus see the great encouragement is that despite the suffering and despite the persecution and despite the stress the encouragement is to keep going keep going with what you've learned Timothy, he learned it from infancy Uh, his grandmother Lois, his mum Eunice. Can you imagine them reading the scriptures with Timothy from his childhood and nurturing his faith? You can see that picture, can't you? And here is the fruit of it, which reminds me, what were the children like in verses 1 to 9? They were disobedient, weren't they? Do you see the contrast again? And why why did Eunice and Lois why do Christian parents countless Christian parents read the Bible to their children why do they pray with them? and why does Tyndale translate the Bible and put his life on the line? verse 15 because the Holy Scriptures make us wise for salvation through Christ through faith in Christ Jesus So the answer is is our key idea today the answer is scripture alone here is what they stood for here they don't oppose the truth they embrace the truth no matter the cost here is what they stood for here is what we must stand for and i think we do stand for and the answer is scripture alone Here is the key difference, the key idea that changed the world and changed us. And we're not to reject it, but to embrace it. Scripture alone. Now, as you think about that, I want to offer a cautionary flag. When we talk about scripture alone, it doesn't mean Jesus plus me plus the Bible, as good as those things are. It doesn't mean Jesus plus me plus the Bible like we enter into a vacuum and reject everything else. The best learning happens in community. And we learn much from church history. And there are some traditions that remain valuable. And we learn from experienced, learned Christians. But it is true that... That God's word, scripture, does trump them all. But it doesn't make those other things redundant. You with me? Okay. Let's look at verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Whose word is it? God's words, here we were, wishing God would write it down. And here's the news he has. His word has been breathed out. It's his. It's his activity. It's his power. It's his. You have God's word there in your hands right now. Because God has spoken to you through the scriptures. It's God's. Tyndale believed the Bible is the word of God that addresses the people of God. It nourishes the church. It nourishes our faith. And to keep the Bible locked away in the hands of specialists like priests, so that it's incomprehensible to everyone else, is really to deprive God's people of what they need in order to grow as disciples of Christ. Sindal wanted to make the Bible available to everybody. He believed the Bible is a clear, effective communication to his people. And that what he just needed to do was to put it into a language people spoke. And then the workman, the ploughboy, and the scholar and the king might all understand the truth of what God has to say. He believed in a personal God who speaks to us. That God spoke to Adam and Eve. That God spoke to Abraham and Moses and Samuel and to David through the prophet Nathan. And then the word came and the word dwelt among us, didn't he? God spoke to us in the person of Jesus. Such that the Apostle Peter says, well, where else do we have to go? Where else do we have to go when you alone have the words of eternal life? John 6. And we know that in these last days God still continues to speak to us through his Christ-revealing word. The message of love and the message of salvation. God has spoken. So we don't have to grope around in the dark. And we can turn off the TV And ignore those competing truth claims. Here is the authority that trumps all others. It is God's word. So what do we do with it if it's God's word? What do we do with it? Well, we continue with it. We let it teach us. We let it rebuke us and correct us and train us for godly living. That it may change us and shape us and transform us. To be more like Christ himself. And isn't that our prayer as we open up the Bible? The Bible reader's prayer. Here it is. Dear God, may your word today teach me. May it rebuke me. May it correct me and train me. Imagine if we prayed that as we open up the scriptures. Here is a question. Some of us, we studied Luke, didn't we? Luke's gospel this year. How has your understanding of Luke's gospel changed you? we opened up the book of Joshua together, didn't we? We, we did a sermon series. We, we did it in Bible study. How has knowing Joshua, the book of Joshua changed you? Or the giving series. Or the first Thessalonian series. Or this series. Isn't this what God, God's word does? As it corrects and rebukes and teaches and trains. Now, why does it do that? So that whoever belongs to God may be thoroughly, see that word thoroughly in verse 17. Thoroughly, not, not a bit, not somewhat. The word of, so that the, whoever belongs to God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See the sufficiency of scripture here. Here is what we need. That we will be thoroughly equipped. Here is our toolkit. Our equipment, which means that unless we are grounded in the word, any ministry will be a substantive one. Nick's, you're off. One day Nick's going to have a parish of his own. Unless his ministry is grounded in the word, it's going to be substantive. Tinnaker, unless Tinnaker's ministry is grounded in the word, her ministry will be a substandard one. Adam Draco, Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders, our parish counsellors, our wardens, our Bible study leaders, unless we are grounded in the word, our ministry is going to be empty and hollow and substandard. What do we have to say? Because only the word of God can give us the equipment we need for this life. Only the Word of God has the power to change people's hearts and lives. Only the Word of God can make us wise for salvation by pointing us to Jesus, the one we need. And only the Bible spells out God's terms. It tells you what you need to believe and how you should behave in response to that. So the question this morning is, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Do you stand in verses 1 to 9? Where you're driven by self love and pride, and where you're really just pretending? Or do you stand by the Holy Scriptures, which makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus? Do you stand for the Gospel? Are you trusting God? Do you trust God? And do you exercise that trust in God with a Bible open? Reading. Listening, praying through it, and doing it, responding in faith. Do you recognise the value of the scriptures? And the way it shows people our need for sin, but our even greater saviour. Do you recognise its value such that you're willing to commit to reading the Bible with someone else? Has it ever occurred to you? Such is the value of the scriptures. I mean, it's ironic, isn't it? The Roman church would burn the very thing that makes people wise for salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. It's ironic. It's incredible that they would burn that. And isn't it somewhat a tragedy that professing Christians today, completely spoiled with God's word translated into English, would neglect it? that it would be met with apathy and indifference and even ignorance. So what do you stand for? Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that you do not leave us wondering. We thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. We pray that We would express our deep love for you and our trust in you by having Bibles that are open and well read and well understood and even applied. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would teach us and you would rebuke us and you would correct us and train us for godly living such that you would make us more and more like Jesus himself. Uh, We pray, Father, that we would value the scriptures in such a way that we would take your word and seek to share it with others who are yet to hear it. We thank you, Father, that this is indeed good news. We have the scriptures that show us what we are like, that we are sinners. But we also acknowledge, Father, that what you demand, you supply. That you supply for us forgiveness and grace and mercy Uh, give us a heart to share this good news with others like Tyndale did help us to value the scriptures above all else and help us to be people actively sharing the good news with those around us that more and more might come to worship him Uh, we pray this so that you are glorified we pray this so that your kingdom might be bigger and bigger. We ask it in his precious name. Amen.